The following podcast contains three mates talking shit over some beers. As you can imagine, the language can get a wee bit hairy from time to time. So, get involved. Grab a beer and join us for Drunk Therapy, the podcast. I am the only one drinking in the moment in the room, and I feel a little bit awkward. I feel like this is like a an intervention. <laughs> so, so I had to just get that out of the way because everyone else's words are going to be so accurate. Your dance moves might suck, but I'm just sitting here drinking beer by myself going, I'm sweaty, I'm a bit smelly, I'm drinking beer. You're forced beers. to confront. Yeah, yeah, and now everyone's looking at me and I'm like, oh man. Well, there's an element, I think, of folk just being burst because you have been pretending that you are still young and cool with Transmit when he's just looked a bit tragic and old, <laughs> in all off. honesty. But um, the, re- the reason that we're all kind of being professional today and there's no pressure on you lads but we've got a guest in Darren McGarvey aka Loki and uh, yep. not, not to put you guys under any pressure but today alone I've watched them on YouTube do a TED talk I've watched them do a podcast with Russell Brand I've watched them do a podcast with Christian and Guru Murphy on Channel 4 and I apologise in advance for you being in this shite <laughs> ah, no, don't be so, silly. T- taking you? it back to his roots, mate. He's slimming. <laughs> exactly, ah, mate. You hit the big time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, I mean it's. Just, I, I, I like, to, especially if I've got something to push. Yeah. Uh, I'm always very grateful for anybody that will uh, give me a note. Basically, if I can sell my shit. Do you oh, know what let's I mean? let's get that plug in early then. What are you here to sell, Darren? Well, I've got my obviously friend show coming up. So I'll be competing with thousands of artists and writers and whoever to try and get 200 people in the door every day. So the show's called Scotland Today and stuff about me being middle class. It's uh, basically a kind of exploration of social mobility. And you know, the last year I wrote a book, it became quite successful and my life changed, you know, very quickly. Yeah. Suddenly I had a bit of money. I was getting respect for all the places that had been ignoring me for years. And so it's been interesting getting an insight into like crossing the train tracks, really. So the show's exploring class, but this time with me on the other side of the ravine, you know what I mean? And I think that, that might be interesting for an audience, you know what I mean? Kind of fish out of water, a guy for Pollock suddenly cutting a boot, you know what I mean? Like in these different spheres where people talk different and have different values and just, it's interesting. And does it give you an inferiority complex talking? So I was at your show at um, St. Luke's at Christmas time and I'm looking at such an eclectic mix of people and here's this guy just on stage talking about his experiences growing up in Pollock and this social commentary on who we are in Glasgow and the lower classes and I'm looking and I'm going... That guy's definitely a millionaire. <laughs> show. But then, then, then I'm looking and I'm I'm seeing boys that I would see at hip hop gigs from years gone past. That you know, just skin boys. And I'm like, this is a fucking mental audience. So, see, when you're in the company of uh, anyone that's maybe middle, higher class, aye, is there like an imposter syndrome that runs through you? Yes, there is certainly. I mean, I think the way that we, depending on what kind of culture or social class we're accustomed to, it's natural that your sensors go off. When you feel like you're uh, in the wrong kind of tribe, yeah, yeah, aye. So, what what, what I've tried to do is not let that dictate too much how I behave. While obviously I I, I move in different circles, I try to always bring a, a, a similar version of myself into them. You might have to modify some things, you know. Sometimes it might be better not to swear. Sometimes it might be better not to crack a joke. You, you know, people for your skin would find funny, um, but ultimately. My whole thing has always been about how can I shine a light and articulate the experience of people who come from marginalised communities in a way that people from enfranchised communities can understand. And actually it takes a lot of skill and a lot of time to learn how to do that. But the Fringe shows really 
are a brilliant platform to put into practice everything that you've learned as an artist, as a human in the world, as a writer, as a performer. And as you say, the, the audiences are diverse and this is an interesting thing that's just happened recently. And and that tends to happen when your work is framed in a different way from usual. So it's always been a hip-hop artist, gritty hip-hop, recovering alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. But then when you're on the front page of G2, because yeah. you won the George Orwell Prize for books, it changes the whole conversation around you. So people suddenly see you, they think you've just been growing a test tube, they don't realise you've got all this experience behind you, it's the first time they've seen you. So it's just been dead good, because it's dead interesting to me. And also, that audience is diverse. If you scale that up, you're potentially talking the potential for a mass audience there. When you're talking about people with a lot of money, people for the scheme, they're all coming into the one room. If you can get the right content and you can work hard enough to generate interesting stuff that's engaging, then you just need to keep going with the momentum. Yeah. And uh, with the right exposure and a wee bit of luck, then you could be tapping into quite a big audience, actually. And is that the, the journey you wanted to go on when you, obviously, we'll, we'll get onto the hip-hop music very, very soon, so it's what I've known you most for, mm. but did you make a conscious decision a few years ago because, you know, you had strong political views, and as most people did uh, prior to the 2014 election, yeah. of referendum, sorry, is that the journey you wanted to go on where you're going, I'm going to be a social, political activist, mm, so to speak? It, it was, it, it never, I think I was always, de- given the, uh, the rate that I worked, and the way that I was managing to take advantage of whatever opportunities I could get my horn on, then I was always going to be have some sort of public platform. The question was what size? And I think writing a book, that's opened up everything because it's, it's no only gave me a platform to say something exactly the way I would want to say it and not have to compromise, but also... Uh, as you as you acknowledged, it's it's drawn in lots of different people that normally my work's not been exposed to. So it, I definitely was always aiming to professionalise what I was doing. I just didn't really have any idea that it would occur on the sort of scale that it did last year. And that's not to say it'll always continue like that. You've got to work hard. I mean, I'm finding this year already. This year, I earned more money than I did every previous year put together. But I'm still dealing with financial insecurity. Yeah. So it's weird because the money loses its value at first. It just seems like it's coming from everywhere. And then you overextend yourself a wee bit. You know, you want to be generous. You want to help out people that are struggling. Uh, you want to have nice things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort your windies out and make sure your missus pretty much gets whatever she needs and wants, you know. You put a lot of pressure on yourself and you've got a lot more money, don't you? Aye, aye. And suddenly you're like, all right, I can see how the people who look like they've got enough and they have got enough. I mean, I've got enough. But the question is, do I feel that I've got enough? And in the society that we're in, we're always encouraged to think we don't have enough because our whole economy is based on growth. That's basically what advertising is, isn't it? Exactly. Telling so, you that you need this product to enhance your life exa- when you don't. Exactly. And uh, uh, so it's, 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 it's partly a mindset you need to break through and realise that. So I'm just projecting my old pathos onto this new canvas. But it's the same me with the same insecurities and the same worries. But ultimately, it's partly that, and then also it's partly you can find contentment in whatever your circumstances. And I think that's where I'm falling short a wee bit. You know, yeah. it's, it's 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 hard sometimes when you're stressed. You've got deadlines. Your work. You've got kids to locate the gratitude. 
yeah. to go like, I actually, if I could have chose this 10 years ago or yeah. even two years ago, if somebody had said this in my life now, yeah. I'd be like, give me that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're actually in it, you're like, oh my God, I'm overworked it's, I'm stressed. It's easy to forget that you, the kids, you know, the, the, the house, everyone's healthy, you've got a roof over your head. Exactly. It's easy to forget that that's kind of the main thing that matters. It's kind of like, ah, I wouldn't mind the new fucking Range Rover. Or you, me, I'm like, I, I nerd out on like gadgets. So I'm like, oh, you know what I should do? I should just go buy a new fucking camera. And I'm like, why? You don't need one. And I'm like, ah, but... That'd be nice. And then the tax man comes along <laughs> yeah. and like, oh shit, I forgot about that. No camera, I don't have a new camera. How much have I got to fucking do? What's this? Suddenly you're like, where's the fucking Tory party? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Let me sign right up. You know, but just things like that come as curveballs. You know what I mean? They, they come as curveballs because you forget your your tax isn't being taken off with everything that you're earning. And then the tax man also wants half of what they think you're going to earn yeah. up front, I know. So I suddenly you're like, ah, oh, hang on actually. This is intense. <laughs> you kind of go to your scheme pals to talk about it. Your scheme pals, well, for me, if you were talking to me about tax, I remember I got my first pay from my job and I looked at the tax, the income tax and then national insurance and it blew my fucking mind. I was like, you're taking this much off me because I never grew up with parents that were in full-time work that paid taxes or anything, you know, so I'm, I wasn't reared that way. Mm-hmm. So when you're, you're fucking faced with this massive fucking chunk of your wages going away, you're like, fuck, man, it's mental. Aye, 41%, mate. That's what I got hurt with. Ah, jeez. <laughs> Someone's like, doing all right, eh? 41% I got hurt with, and then yeah. I was like, ah. Back, like, back Boris. What is one of the things I'll talk about in the show is the fact that actually when you become part of that, when you become part of that kind of socioeconomic picture, then actually you suddenly realise it's the politicians, they're trying to target you. They're doing everything to appeal to you. So suddenly I'm in a position where it doesn't really affect me that much. Who wins politically? Yeah. Politics becomes this vehicle for me just to express a preference. Whereas obviously further down the income scale, a political decision can send somebody's life into a tailspin. So you suddenly start realising actually this idea of the kind of centre ground of politics that you often yeah. hear people talking about. You realise, you start getting maybe a kind of visceral understanding into that rather than just being a theory in your head for the margins. Um, and, and, and you know, that that's the same across... I mean, if I pay a wee bit more tax, a wee bit less tax, it's the big deal. I still have a capacity to generate opportunities to create income. You know what I mean? And not, not if you talk about financial side and that, but actually, I, I, I would have wished a lot of the people I look up to would have talked about this stuff more honestly, because that's the information I need right now. Like, what's it like in the first year when you start earning more? How do you manage it? What do you do? There's no information out there. You're either raised in a family where you're taught how to do it, yeah. or you're just fucking improvising as you go, do you know what I mean? We well, see it's... this with celebrities a lot now, though, but probably more so in like, music and the arts and entertainment. How many sort of rock stars for the seventies and eighties? It were all about like many of the people and all that. And then as soon as they get that money, they start to you just see them gradually. Just kind of mm. was it Adele that started moaning about the volume of tax that she was paying? Mm. Pretty much soon after success. So it's quite frightening how quickly like money can change. And she, co- co- she probably comes from a similar background as well to to what we're talking about here. So it seems doubly difficult because it's like, this is the first time I've ever earned. Can you not let me keep this year? <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I came for a scheme, you know what I mean? And so, But then you start to see how everybody thinks the rules shouldn't be applied to them. Everybody's got that rich context of experience, you know what I mean? Whatever it might be, oh, I employ a certain, certain amount of people, why should I, or this and that. Everybody, it's the same as when you get a parking ticket, you know what I mean? Everybody thinks it wasn't fair when yeah. they got the parking ticket. Nobody in court ever goes like, ah, it was me. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. 
everybody always thinks that there's some sort of exception for yeah. them. And it's the same when it comes to actually like stepping up and putting money where your mouth is. Because all I've done is shout about taxing people with money. Do you know what I mean? So I'll be paying up happily. <laughs> You're just reaching out for somebody to listen. He goes, I'll I'll take this guy yeah. under my wing and I'll, I'll teach him how to fiddle <laughs> the system. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Gary Barlow or Jimmy Carr are listening in. Like you know, like who, who gets down up? Exactly. <laughs> it's all about receipts. I realise now, which is something that I've never kept and always thought any kind that's keeping that amount of receipts is suspect. Suddenly you're like, ah, actually, it's all about keeping receipts to bring down it's the ta- deductible ta- income. Tax then- write-offs, isn't it? That was a taxi, <laughs> but I went to my mates, but I'm going to use it as aye, a tax aye, write-off. Aye, this laptop and blah, 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 blah. And suddenly I was like, right, oh, well, lesson learned then. There's something I wanted to ask yourself and you guys. Because um, I've got a complete blinkered ignorance when it comes to politics now because I'm, I'm, I feel very disenfranchised. It was when I was engaged with it, maybe prior to 2014 and then uh, the referendum you know I feel like I've been on the losing side of a lot of battles big battles you know I just feel like every political decision I've made as a voter has just went against me you know and nothing changes and you said it there talking about being in a different spectrum and these decisions not affecting you but it can be completely ruinous for somebody's life like the fucking bedroom tax a few years ago or the disability benefits being cut and then people you know committing suicide because of it how do you guys stay engaged because i'm I'm probably talking to yourself darren and danny you you, you're up in politics and you're you know part of the conversation i'm in the middle of a pub and somebody starts talking about politics i'll whip out my phone because i'm like i'm not interested fuck this shit nothing that i can do will change that and i reckon there's a lot of people out there like that yeah don't worry i don't want to answer the question fuck you (laughs) (laughs) anyone but shane what do you guys think you guys have a lovely lovely pm who changed gun laws in about a day over in new zealand genuinely that's what i do i just gloat about how good our prime minister is i'm like oh and she's lovely she's got a kid and i'll jump in first just by saying that i had that exact question prepared for Dan myself because 2014 we voted no for independence 2015 we seen the Tories win a majority in a general election and then 2016 Brexit vote happened at that point I was disillusioned like I've sort of zoned out and now I treat politics in the news as like it's the news now is Love Island for people who think they don't like Love Island it's just a reality tv show it's a new form of entertainment it can't be taken seriously and that's like today alone we're talking about Donald Trump tweeting something about people, go, like fellow congressmen, to go back home where they came from. Aye. No one's batting an eyelid anymore. It's, we're not shocked. So if you've you've got a show coming up, I'm looking at politics or satirical shows at the fringe, and they all mention Trump, they all mention Brexit. How is it possible to satirise that anymore? We're, we're beyond satirising what's going Aye. on now. I sidestep the things that I think other people are going to go for, and I try to take the angles that would be unexpected and interesting for an audience. But... I mean, just as a, as an aside in politics generally, um, I think we all have periods where we might feel that it's pointless and that or, or, that the apathy is justified in some ways. But the thing you understand about apathy is that when you're not participating, you're creating a space where actually the people that you don't want to be in power have more chance of being in power. And this is the unfortunate thing about democracy like sometimes we're going to vote one way and we're going to get another thing. I think if if there's any big lessons for people out there, it's that you can't believe social media in terms of what you think is going to happen in a country because we've created our own wee tribal communities on there and yeah. we don't really get an insight into what's going on. But also, we're in a country really where whether we like it or not, people have conservative impulses and instincts. And I don't mean conservative party impulses. I mean just having a kid 
rouses conservative impulses in you. You know, the impulse to conserve a certain quality of life for your family. Right, now people take that to different extremes. I think often when you're young, you're coming up on the left, you're you're looking at progressive ideas, do you know what I mean? Uh, then, then you can start thinking that that stuff's all self-evident and that only an idiot would think otherwise. So sometimes it can be quite an excruciating but humbling wake-up call for people involved in politics at every level to think, just because we believe this is right and just because we think it's true, doesn't mean we don't need to get out there and argue and fight for things and doesn't mean we don't have to get out there and persuade and debate um, because ultimately these struggles ideologically are generational. So just because we, the left, might have been dominant for a decade or so in, in a number of areas, it just doesn't mean that's going to continue. It swings in roundabouts. So every generation has to take up the reins. Every yep. generation has to pick up the tools. And fight and for it. And that's where we're at. You know, that's, that, that is where we're at. That's kind of, and that's what I suppose the right are doing quite well with their use of social media, is just by being constantly on attack with shameless, barefaced lies, it makes an impact. So we're talking, people are talking about maybe the prospect to NDRF2 and how you fight it and stuff. And you think, well, maybe you do just need to not lie because you don't want to do it that way. But if you need to just start being like a bit of a cunt, then that's maybe the way to do it. If that's what's going to get the message across. It's certainly interesting to me how social media was ultimately kind of utilised in a far more effective way by the right. Because what we didn't understand on the left, because we were uh, we were looking at the Arab Spring and thinking, this is a revolution, dictatorships are being overthrown, progressive governments are going to be all over fucking the Middle East and Africa and all that. This is this is our frontier social media, Occupy movement. Do you know what I mean? And all these things. And then it was like that was really the last thing, globally that you seen for the project yeah. on the left. Suddenly. Before we knew it, we were actually in a kind of right-wing algorithm where even things that we... Th- where I found myself actually reading articles by people that I didn't know were funded by right-wing organisations or that had connections to right-wing organisations and thinking, actually, I agree with some of this. And then realising there was a lot of social media tropes happening and I was part of a culture war. And that's what's going on in the broader dynamic. Yeah. So so just know... You, you, you need to be careful when you're talking about the right because I, I think conservatism is a valid ideological position and there are different strains and gradations of conservatism. You have some people that are centre-right, they believe in business, free markets, but they're socially progressive. Then you have people on the further, far, far right that are no no my kind of people at all. But within all that, you've got these subcultures online where it's not necessarily about politics, it's people come together with single issues like free speech or gender and all this stuff. Yeah. And it's a real minefield, you know what I mean? It's a minefield, especially if you're just taking your first political steps. You might think that you're signing up for something, not realising it's a Trojan horse for a completely different yeah. thing. And, and no, that's the big challenge for just societies generally. You know, social media has had such a profound impact on our sense of reality, sense of what's going on. Uh, it's very much like the invention of the printing press or when uh, the, the word of God was put into the Bible and they thought this is going to bring everybody together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and it just doesn't work like that. Uh, People polarise because it's part of our nature. And it's confusing if you're young and Scottish and you're liberal just now at the moment because you're looking at Jeremy Corbyn and the general impression up here is because we voted yes we want independence. We've got this like, really negative view of Labour and I've never voted Labour. I don't, I think Corbyn... Is, seems like a decent man, but he's kind of, it's not going to happen for him now, is my opinion. 
But um, well, he's ticked you off on your main thing, yeah. so it means everything else you've that's seen it, through exactly. that filter. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And everything after 2014 that Labour do now, in my eyes, I'm never going to get it if, because that'll always come back to that. So if you're young and you're liberal and you're Scottish, you're not liking half of the left immediately, and mm. the SNP aren't exactly perfect themselves. Aye, no, that's a that's a that's a good observation. You know, I think that gets to the core of the fragmentation that we've seen. Um, politically particularly on the left and there's so many petty scores to get settled and people airing out their personal shit and just it can be really difficult I think that this period will calm down um, you know like people will get used to social media being a tool that they need to watch how they behave on not just because of saying something controversial but there's an emotional impact with constantly being drawn into debate and that nature I think more and more social media would be useful for us to arrange a place to come together in real life. Human beings need eye contact, body language. They need to infer what other people's intentions are by being around them. This is how we've evolved. But we go on social media and we're just trying to decide what a person is like or what they believe for a text on a screen. And actually, not to get too far into evolution and all that, but language is the, the, the most recent of our evolutionary acquisitions. So before that, we didn't talk. We just got the idea from how somebody looks in their body. So the idea that we can solve the world's most complicated problems with a skill that we've only really just learned quite recently in an evolutionary scale is madness. Real yeah. madness, do you yeah. know what I mean? But we never think about the wider issues at play in terms of the limitations of our nature yeah. and, and, and our capacity to communicate or process so much information at an individual level. Um, it's always focused on the news agenda, polit political personalities, um, but there are lots of lenses to see the current time we're in through, I, I think. You know yeah. what I mean? I hope that was some of the funny stuff you were hoping for. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, fuck, that's, that's our clip. <laughs> I'll make one last, one last observation on politics before I let you guys get into the hip-hop stuff. Right, so right, we're going to edit it out anyway. It's, it's, it'll bring comedy into it because this is where we're at with politics and comedy now that I now listen to Lemmy as much as anyone when it comes to stuff like that because he's got these nihilistic views so I'm now watching Lemmy at one o'clock in the morning playing Euro Truck Simulator 2 going from I'm Paris fucking good is that going, <laughs> he's going from Paris to Milan just saying stuff like <laughs> it's all shite like so something really controversial happening he'll go guys you know what's going to happen because of this fuck all like nothing <laughs> will change and it's true and you become so nihilistic and I'm thinking Christ this is where like, if it's not Charlie Brooker it's Lemmy on a truck going to Milan mm. that is now making some of the, the shrewdest points no I love Lemmy I love Lemmy like, I, he was doing the Fringe last year we were in sharing the same dressing room so sometimes I'd catch him do you know what I mean he was in the Grand Hall and I was in the Lower Hall just underneath and I've met him a few times and, and he is I mean I don't know if he, it's not to say that the stuff he's doing on social media is a character that's no yeah. related completely to him, but obviously his comedy utilises so many different tools. I mean, you have to look at how he's managed to continue to generate an income for himself, even though he's not doing a lot of TV work right now. Yeah. And it's because he understands technology and he understands how to fuse his comedy into it. Yeah. And that's why his Twitter account is hilarious. And all these memes that he's generated and all these takes that he's got 
um, they're all part of his kind of career furniture in yeah. a way. Do you know what I mean? Even the streaming and Twitch and well, Twitch is the next big thing. That's where people are going to make their money. And the fact that he's leading the way in Scotland, I don't see anyone else in Twitch that is a, a figurehead in Scotland uh, comedy. Can't, can't he, see. He's been leading the way with every form of technology that's ascended in the Vines. Last few years. Yeah, he owned Vines when it came out. I, I don't understand why Vines. He was on the cutting edge of podcasting, so that's where his whole shit came from. Yeah. Podcasts. Mm. He was on the cutting edge of Vines, he was on the cutting edge of YouTube, he was on the cutting edge of this new Twitch, and also just a prolific tweeter, and really good with the tweets, you know what I mean? And if you go further back than that... I think he probably cares a wee bit more about issues than sometimes his persona would lead lead you to believe. I think we all have to sometimes be careful sometimes about putting ourselves out there too much about what our political thoughts are. Have you read his autobiography, and he talks about the... When he done the tweet, or he changed his profile picture, to a, <laughs> Thatcher was still alive, and he put red crosses over Thatcher's aye, eyes aye, and wrote aye, "Die aye, now." Aye, and, aye. and Louise Mensch was the Tory MP at the time and started tweeting the BBC saying, "Like, why are you employing this man?" And it became this massive thing. This, and, that he, he shut his Twitter down for like a year after that, didn't he? I can't mind if that was there was a few that got him into a lot of trouble on Twitter, but that one, I think the BBC gave him a bit of a, a ticking off because, but. But it's just a bam up, and like ninety percent of what he does is just a bam up, and that's why people like BBC it. BBC are living fear oh, of yeah, the Daily yeah. Mail. Like literally, I've been pulled up for not having a seatbelt and shot filming. So it's not just about not having a seatbelt; it's about making sure that you are seen to be wearing a seatbelt. Yeah, because this is the sort of stuff that some rural conservatives get pissed off about. I got pulled up for doing. I was doing a piece to camera. And I pure nailed it first time, you know what I mean? Hanking your ass, going to get a smoke, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, I went like that, it was whatever the statistic was, it was like 2%, so I signalled 2 with my hands, but it was like I did it like as if I was div- giving, giving the Vicky. Oh. <laughs> I never thought about it like that, I was just going 2, and I wasn't assuming that the audience would have thought that. And I so, got so how are you meant to do 2 then? I, I know this is very visual. Peace, but is that, peace sign. That, but that's a peace sign, isn't it? Yeah, uh, no one's ever going to get upset at a peace yeah. sign though, are they? I did it again, and that was probably my first of many diva fits <laughs> filming the TV series, do you know what I mean? Because I literally was just like, oh, fuck off. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> what a load of shite. I will be in my trailer. <laughs> how awesome would it be to just to find the, like, the blooper reel of it? Fuck off, it's not oh, the God. finger. <laughs> Aye, man. But I, I know, I love Lemmy. I love Lemmy stuff. He's a, such a massive influence. I think for a lot of us, no, it's quite, you know, apart from football players, you don't see a lot of Glasgow boys uh, professionalising what they do, having their career on their own terms, uh, whatever it is that they choose to do. So, like, you know, he's always been an influence on me and continues continues to be. And I think it's he's he's a lot more intelligent than sometimes he's. Goofing yeah, around yeah. would yeah. suggest because he's he's not like me. He doesn't try to change how he talks depending on who he's talking to. He's very committed to uh, I'm going to sound Glasgow no matter what. And if you don't like it, deal with it. And if this is of an impact on my career or whatever, deal with it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I'm a wee bit more kind of malleable. I like to be a bit of a chameleon. You know what I mean? I mm. enjoy the thrill of switching shit up and seeing how I cope in different situations. It's like a game, isn't it? Aye, but he just represents. No, he's just authentic in that way. He represents Glasgow and 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 he's still got some of the best part of gone. Let's be honest. He fucking you know creates I mean? the lexicon and a lot of the, I I'm convinced that he's responsible for Scottish Twitter. They just replicate what he did a few years ago. Which he and hates. created this old. <laughs> yeah, his whole community does hate it. That is a wee bit shite, isn't it? The thing is, though, like I don't know a lot about him. He is not like ingrained into me culturally like you guys. But 
The he's, one thing well, I would we say know about him is he's twice as good as Flight of the Concords. Ah, fuck off, he'd have him. And Flight of the Concords is good. That's yeah, Flight of the Concords is fucking awesome. But um, I would say, like, you hear about him being everywhere. He's on TV, he's got books, he's like every social platform, he's, he's got a hustle and he's clever with it. And I was going to ask that before about the music because you're still making music, mm. but now you're saying yourself you're, you're doing a wee bit better. Yeah. Is it hard to kind of have that hustle? When you know for music still, or do you, is it natural? Is it just like your release, or how do you find making music now? Do you, do you make it any different? Or is yeah, it- well, um, I, I don't have as much time to do it, so the process of making music's changed. Yeah, it used to be. I mean, when I was a bit younger and it was, maybe approached it a bit more incautiously, it would be a case of sitting down and writing whole tunes in one sitting. Yeah, you know, there's a sort of you have a there's a kind of exuberance of youth where. You're almost just erupting constantly with one thing or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually from your penis. Uh, you know, for me, that was creativity a lot of the time, and so, so, I, I, and then my writing process changed when I sobered up. Yeah, it took me a while to find what my style was again because uh, during the period I was drunk, hip hop and Scotland changed, but I hadn't noticed. So I yeah. still thought I'm the guy, and then I sobered up, and there's ba- there's a band thing happening, and there's a lot of different names in the conversation, and I was like, maybe I should try that, or maybe this is the direction it's gone, and all that. And actually, I found really I think like my audience, the hip hop audience, they're looking for a certain kind of thing for me. They're looking for they're looking for um, emotion first and foremost, right? They're looking for a wee bit of swag, looking for. Um, a bit of humour yeah. and a wee bit of political social commentary do you know what I mean and, and, and whatever form I deliver that in whatever style of music it doesn't really matter they're invested in me vocally doing a certain thing so really now I find that music process has changed for me because um, I tend to sit on tunes a bit longer until I can objectively judge them. You're very attached to a tune when you first write it. And I used to have this rush to release music quickly because I was competitive and I wanted people to know I'm still doing shit. And then actually I I, I listen back to some things and think, I don't know, I must have been drunk to think that that was good enough or um, I must have been gassed up to think that was good enough, you know? Um, Whereas now, the process I'm enjoying keeping the music and letting it cook and going back to it and refining it. And sometimes... I've spent a lot on production that's not actually going to end up being on a final project. But it, for me, it's like a research and development budget. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm trying to find the right thing. And if the money's there to invest, I'm not going to fuck producers about and be like, give your beat and, and maybe I'll use it and that. And, but, but don't get anybody else. But, but I can't pay you for your work until I decide if I'm using it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So that's changed for me. Also, being able to smuggle rap into a lot of the other things I'm doing. I mean, the, the documentary on the BBC about Scottish hip-hop, it wouldn't have got made if it wasn't for the fact that I endorsed the idea of it behind the scenes. Because the, the BBC only felt safe about doing it because i am got a bit of public visibility. So any other hip-hop artist in Scotland went in there and pitched that idea, including me a few years ago, would have got told in a polite BBC-ish way, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's ways that you can use whatever cultural capital that you've got to trade to bring in the things that you find important or ex- or make your values visible in new medium. So taking rap into the Fringe, for example. Fringe show has a bit of music and rap in it, but people, because they're in a theatre, don't think it's hip-hop. And because they're in a theatre, they think, I-, I have a responsibility to understand what's going on or I'm not sophisticated because that's what theatre's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So suddenly you're pressurising them to really confront and contend with the art of your rap because yeah. you're presenting it in a theatre and it can't be easily dismissed the way it could be if it was a shitly graffitied wall 
uh, or a lane, you know, or a chewing gum gauntlet in the Glasgow that, that that's the framing for it. The key to doing that successfully <laughs> for me is um, you your lyricism is brilliant. The stories you tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm going back to. I think you were. You'll probably remember this in any hip hop heads uh, in Glasgow or Scotland. They'll remember Criminal Records. It right. was you, Respect BE, Mac G, Big Div, mm. and you guys were the first uh, group of MCs that I heard at a time when I was rapping American, and I was just like, it blew my fucking mind. And I remember the first time I heard you. I think it was Fragile. Aye, aye, it was right. such a fucking tune to me at the time. I was just like, the way you told the story, and mm. then the song Littlest Hobo. Mm. It's powerful storytelling music that I think transcends the. Perception of what hip hop is So your ability to engage an audience Is a lot different than what your archetypal Hip hop's perception may be And because of the quality of your words It's easier to translate that to an audience I definitely I mean I think Because I remember when you I remember when I first started hearing about you guys And I remember when you switched over but even when rappers are rapping with American accent, and that's how I started, because you've no other frame of reference. Yeah, exactly. You're the only person in Scotland rapping, and then you're like, all right, I'm part of your community. <laughs> but but if, for 20 years. <laughs> if you've got the basic ingredients, then then you, you, you're you're going to write a compelling song anyway and be a compelling performer, because it all comes from what is it that you're trying to say. And rap is one of many skills that I learned, no, because I was especially fascinated with a specific form of creativity, but because I was like, I need to grab every tool available to me because I've got something I need to get off my chest. And that was about, oh, I, got, I got into everything now, I'm into everything, do you know what I mean? And one of the good things about this year is there's so many opportunities for me to explore different things. But I don't see a time where rap won't form some part of my output. It's just, I find that, you know, while obviously I'm creating a hip hop album the new that definitely kind of leans into some of the current trends sonically. Yeah. Couldn't trap, you know what I mean? Um and finding a way to make that work for me. Then at the same time, I also like the idea of working with composers. I like the idea of taking rap into these other spaces where there's different expectations on it, where it's not driven by the tastes of young men. Um, which is cool. But obviously, I'm not a young man anymore, unless I'm in rooms with older people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so the, the the whole thing is about how do I keep this exciting for me? Because some of the things that I want to explore are not necessarily beyond young people's intellect, beyond their interests. Yeah. You know, there's a time and a place where you want to start breaking down reality in a different way, in a more mature way. And it's no when you're fucking running about getting mad with it. You yeah. Know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think, um, Jake's. Scottish hip hop will ever break through because it's still being stepped on like you just mentioned that if you hadn't validated this documentary then the guys at the BBC would have said no they needed a figurehead that was respected and known I was at Transmit on Friday right I've not made a rap song in over a decade right so I've been a, a, away from the scene back then if someone like Stormzy was performing live and headlining in Tina Park I would have been so fucking excited. Mm. But there's been that many London MCs breaking through over the years that it's, it's kind of diminished um, the impact that that has on me. Aye. The amount of Scottish MCs that there's been over the past 10 years that could fucking go toe-to-toe with the guys from London. Why do you think it is that we've not broken through mainstream success? Because it seems like Shogun might have crossed that Aye, well, a couple of years ago and it didn't really work out that way. He's a good You know... Achieving that level of success with the very specific barriers in your path as a Scottish artist or a regional artist, to be fair, um, skill is only one part of it. Um, so 
one of the problems a lot of people up here have got is they just like to get bevy too much. They like to get bevy too much, they like to get out their nut too much. It's not agreeing with them, uh, but they're not in a place where they're ready to confront how that holds them back. Um, also, when you come for a scheme, you always have a kind of default small small-minded mentality that you might fall back on. I get this, do you know what I mean? Sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, hang on, what's motivating me here to be successful, man? Like, is it, is it creating material prosperity? Is it, is it setting an example to my kids? Or is it so I can run back into the hip-hop scene and ram it down every cunt's throat? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a part of me, it's like, ah, ha, ha, Orwell Price, fucking get it up. <laughs> Handful of rappers in my head, do you know what I mean? <laughs> And so, the, 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 there's there's obviously the cultural factors, and they are significant. You know, uh, everything is centralised. London is, if you don't conform in some way to what's happening in London, uh, you can barely even get a foot in the door, unless, you know, like Shogun, you, you tap directly into an audience, and that gives you a bit of power and clout. But then, he was coming from such a kind of di- place of dysfunction in his own personal life, you know, and I've chatted to him a few times. I wouldn't say I'm his best mate or anything, but we, we we hang around in the same circles and all that. Do you know what I mean? He really comes for that life he's rapping about, and so there's a certain there's a certain drag force he's on his social mobility, even when the opportunities are there. He doesn't know how to handle it. Ah, well, I mean, when you think about how astronomical that success was in terms of reaching that many people at one time, nobody would know how to handle it. And then you, you get people you. outside forces going right. Who is this young guy? And they'll try and drag up the most ridiculous aspects of his past and throw it out there as a negative thing. Exactly, and also he might not be operating for a place of perfect knowledge with some of the decisions that he's making. When you, when when people suddenly become aware that you exist or you become cool in some way, um, you know, it, it can be hard to trust a lot of the people around you. Um, you have a high volume of people trying to contact you and because of social media, everybody can contact you. It becomes really overwhelming, you know. So for a young guy like him... Um, who was only just getting a fit uh, in life, you know, with residential instability and difficulties and relationships and all these different things. And then suddenly it's like, it's a heat fuck. I mean, it's not only an ego trip, but it's like, suddenly you're like, who are my pals? What's going on? And uh, just all this public attention and focus. Um, but I, I think most Scottish rappers would, would pri- privately think that they would love to receive the level of attention that, that he received when he did that. Or some the level of attention that I receive uh, for the different work that I do, um, but if your head's no right, you're no gonna take advantage of it. You're gonna fucking sabotage it. It just doesn't matter how many people are watching. I don't know if you can relate to this. At the time when I was making music, I almost felt like the more turmoil in my life, the more credibility it gave me as a hip hop artist because that's the kind of nature of the beast you know you need to be a bit well at the time gangster rap was huge and you mm. needed a bit of dysfunction in your life so you could be credible Aye. so it's kind of a vicious cycle isn't it if you're that type of artist then you want to be rapping about stuff that you think's a bit especially in a city like Glasgow you want to come across a wee bit hard a wee bit edgy Aye. you've lived a fucking broken life Aye. the more broken the better but I suppose it's taking that experience and then coming out the other side Aye. and if you can do that then you might get a bit of success mm. I guess as well, there wouldn't have been a, a blueprint of, of someone, I, I might be wrong, but I have never heard of a Scottish rapper that's gone huge, you know, that's gone broken through like Stormzy, or like in different genres of music, like Lewis Capaldi now has, like, he has just absolutely transcended just because of 
you know, basically his chat, he's an amazing musician, but also he's just fucking next level on socials. He knows how to do it. Is he's that a real product now of this generation, isn't he? And yeah, how, exactly. How they do things. And is that maybe why, is that maybe should rap in Scotland look to people like that? Or is it, is it, do they need someone to blow up massive? Well, hip hop's always got a kind of war going on within itself between purists and whatever the younger generation are feeling. Yeah. Um, and then you have people who kind of sit in the middle somewhere, do you know what I mean, who recognise that there is value in some commercial music um, and that actually commercial music generates renewed interest in underground and purer forms of music. So I wouldn't have known about hip-hop culture and its purest form if it wasn't for MTV beaming it into my fucking brain every mm. day. As a teenager, like straight up, you know, don't bite the horn that feeds you. Um, but at the same time, I think one of the... I mean, I think that's an interesting point you made there, James, was like, you know... One of the things that creates the expectation in artists for our sort of background that we have to portray this dysfunction and this grittiness is because so few of us ever get through that when we do get through, that's the thing that we're always compelled to keep talking about. So it feeds this sense that that's all we've got to say, that we need to be kind of damaged in some way or we need to be hyper-aggressive. I mean, the amount of trouble that I got myself into in the hip-hop community through a combination of drinking and fear, fear-based behaviour, fear-based thinking that presented sometimes as a kind of braggadocious and aggressive and egotistical, c- confrontational person, when it was the opposite of how I felt. I mean, how I really wanted was I wanted everybody to like me and actually created at times sometimes a kind of dislikable persona. Um, and, and that's what we all do, you know. It's, it's, it's probably when you hear people talk about toxic masculinity and, you know, sometimes people talk about it, it's a lot of shite, you know what I mean? But there are very specific ways that it's absolutely true when it comes to, you know, young men from my sort of background. We have to adopt a tough exterior to ward off threats and that's, that's, how, that's how we evolve in our, uh, socially. Um, and it takes a long time to unlearn that. I would like to see a rapper for the kind of LGBT community coming through, do you know what I mean? I would like to see something really radical like that to shift opinions. Well, Scot- well, Nas from America just came out. In Scotland. And- in Scotland, yeah. I would like to see somebody, because there there's got to be an MC out there, uh, whether male or female or whatever, who is at least struggling with questions around their sexuality and wondering how would I... How would I express this in my music? And and like really recently there was a bit of kind of shit went down when a, an MC called Baltic uh, from Ayrshire, um, a great MC. I go, I've known him for way back. He released this track. Um, he performed at a gig. He did a great set, and then he did one tune where it just seemed like it was targeting LGBT for no reason. It was all on this issue of free speech and trans rights and all that. He called it orang. You know what I mean? Like. You know that way sometimes the first thought that comes to your head is not necessarily the one you should express till you've sat with it for a wee bit. Yeah. And so he created a big backlash. But what I really was really encouraged by, and I've I've said stupid things myself in the past, what I was really encouraged by was I decided to sit back and no involve myself in it. Because there's that many people following me now that me involving myself in a local thing creates its own thing. It just diverts so much of what other people are saying onto me. So I was just watching it and what I realised was so many MCs called them out. So many people said that's fucking homophobic, that's transphobic. Rappers, young male hetero rappers or cis rappers or whatever you want to call them. And I was like, the sands are really shifting in hip hop. Like, the sands are really shifting. On one hand, we've got this toxic masculinity aspect that's sometimes inhibitive for oyes. 
And then we've got this new way of thinking that's actually coming into play within hip-hop. And that'll be dead interesting to see how it pans out. Because it just takes somebody to come out and be open about their sexuality. And there's got to be somebody out there. If you're listening, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just drop, drop Loki a DM. <laughs> <laughs> Take you through it. Whilst, whilst she's not Scottish, I mm. think I'm not, like, hip-hop's not my go-to music genre. Mm. But one of the most powerful songs I've heard in a long time is Europe is Lost by Kate Tempest. Aye, aye. She's she's a phenomenal artist mm. and she seems to be part of that whole thing and it's kind of like your own music where mm. that hip-hop and whether it's poetry or hip-hop is conveying such a more powerful message than maybe any other art form at the moment. I've already said that satire can't really be done just now in comedy. Mm. So people are using that and it's like yourself and her to really put powerful messages across as well. Aye, absolutely, absolutely. And hip-hop, hip I think, is... It's, it still dominates culturally. It still dominates commercially. It's still the go-to art form for people who come from further down the food chain because emotionally it resonates with them in a way that traditional forms of poetry or more more, more finer forms of art just don't. It reflects their experience. The poetry of lower-class life that's often perceived as vulgar further up the scale. And that's why I think it's, it's here to stay. Couldn't agree more. Hip-hop still carries a powerful message uh, wherever you are and watching your performance in St Luke's uh, a couple of days before Christmas last year it really crystallised that point um, when you performed a song called Don't Jump I think it fucking tackled the issue of suicide and mental health so succinctly I want to play a little bit of it right now Don't jump You'll regret that Don't throw it all away Take a step back Staring in that black river as the waves shimmer Doesn't it matter if you're a great swimmer Don't jump, it's colder than you think As soon as you let go, you'll be overcome by an instinct To survive, then it's too late, you'll have sealed your fate You'll go to your grave knowing stepping off was a mistake What inspired you to, you know, put out that message at that time? Three things One Um young MC called Callum Barnes um, decided to take, to take his own life um, a couple of years ago. I knew Callum. I know, knew his friends. Um, and I just spoke to spoke to one of them on the phone the, the day it happened. Um, so the first thing was we were all very surprised I mean, we, we, we knew that th- that mental health was a theme in his music, but I think a lot of the people close to him, while they might look back now and think, the signs were all there, why did I know do something? Everybody punishes themselves like that. The truth is, when somebody's made a decision to do that, often they're the only one that knows, and that's the way that they keep it. When they've really made the decision, you know, when they're beyond the kind of cry for help stage, and it's like, they actually find some kind of weird peace or serenity, and... I'm going to end my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so there was that aspect of it because it, f- it sent me into a period of reflection um, about, <clears throat> particularly thinking about, particularly thinking about what is the place that a person is at the moment before they do the thing that ends their life? Now, some people do this, they choose different methods and means. Um, and, and, then what I realised was, having done a wee bit more research into it, I found the story of this guy in America 
San Francisco who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. Yeah. And so it's his story of describing the suicidal ideation that begins with just the kind of almost playful thought of mm, maybe it'd be better if I wasn't here and how that takes hold. It functions almost kind of like a pregnancy or a relapse and that as it's actually progressing, it might not seem like a lot is going on and then one day it just becomes active. And so he told this story of desperately wanting to tell people how he was feeling but this other brain almost, this other consciousness just constraining him walking up and down the Golden Gate Bridge all day and and nobody noticed, nobody seen him, nobody whatever and then he said when he's standing at the railing and I apologise for how vividly I'm, I'm describing it because I know some of this stuff can be triggering for people but you've got to get the balance right between preserving how people feel and talking very frankly about it um, and he talked about the moment his hand left the railing he knew it was a mistake and I was like that was the thing for me. That was the message that's getting lost in a discussion about mental health. The will, the will to survive. Yeah. The human instinct to live in spite of everything will will burst forth no matter how much you think you want to die. And it often will happen the moment you can't do anything about it. So he fell and now you're talking a few hundred feet into the water. He broke his legs. He was fucked. But he survived. And I thought, this is a message that I need to get out there. Now, obviously, it doesn't apply to every form or means by which somebody might try to harm themselves, but the principle's the same. There's a dramatic difference between the mindset that you think you're in when you're really, really depressed and isolated and the mindset that will kick in the moment you actually realise you're yeah. about to die. And I just thought, while that's a dead uncomfortable area to go into... That's my speciality as an artist, man. That's where I go every time, whatever the topic is. And the third part is, I had a lot of mental health issues going on myself. Um, it looked like I was doing really well for the outside, uh, and actually, I was struggling with, uh, I was struggling in my relationship. I was feeling, um, I was struggling with parenthood. I was struggling as a father. Um, I was isolated from my friends because my life experiences were changing so dramatically, and. Uh, I started getting nostalgic about how when I used to get mad with it and drink. So I was in this awful place where I can of drink, but I want to drink. Yeah. And it's just miserable, you know, it's miserable. And, uh, you know, I relapsed on drugs. I relapsed and getting a puff, painkillers, still, you know, trying to get sober, not being able to, using a lot of pornography, using pornography just as a way to zombify myself in a way. And actually, a lot of the, the, the a lot of the emotional and psychological impact that that on you and your relationships as well is so negative. You know what I mean? Particularly pornography, I find, was one of the first things I turned to. I didn't realise it at the time, but it changes how you feel. It's not actually the gratification associated with it that you're in it for. It's the zombie state of scrolling page after page after page. Yeah. But like drugs or like using or any other kind of behaviour or addictive behaviour. You, you require more and more intense dosages of it or intense forms of it in order to receive that same dopamine hit. 
So you find that you watch it for longer and you watch mere bizarre fucking shit where you actually, once you're done, you're like, what did I just watch? Mm. So you it's, walk it's interesting. around. It's, it's interesting. I was just thinking as you were saying that there, that I found a lot of identification in escape hatch that you reach for. They're all negative. And I don't know if that's where we, you know, the background we grew up in. You know, I'll reach for drinks to Aye. escape. I'll blow off some steam. I'll reach for drugs, you know. I'll watch porn for Aye. me. You know, when I was a, uh, I'm, I'm a recovering gambling addict, so when I was uh, just gambling, I would reach for the most obscure sports because I needed that adventure. I needed that hit. I needed something that was just going to give me that different fucking hit. Mm. And if I won, uh, just say I won money on netball, I'd be like, fucking brilliant, man. I'm, I'm great at this. And it's, it's interesting that we don't reach for anything positive. Like, I've got friends that will, over a weekend, go up and climb Munro's, mm. you know, or play tennis, play squash and all that, and they look for positive escapes mm. or just positive reinforcement of life. Um, and it's just interesting. It is a learned, it is a learned behaviour. Um, when I was young, people were modelling the behaviour that was modelled to them. So what I was seeing was when you're stressed, you know, you go in your room and shut the door. When you're stressed, you have a drink. Um, when you're stressed, you you don't you don't express what your needs are to the people around you. You don't even try to assert yourself in any way, um, and you don't show that you're vulnerable. Uh, and the sort of communities that a lot of us grow up in, and uh, any deviation for the script about what being a wee guy entails means that you're opening yourself up to conflicts. You know what I mean? Ridicule, mockery, all these things that hurt real bad. Um, and for me. I, I found myself in this weird place where on one hand I was observing completely cognitively, consciously the 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 sharp decline in my own mental health. I could have diagnosed myself. Yeah. I'm very well read on all these things. Intellectually I have a real firm grasp of the internal and external conditions that are shaping my mental health, what I'm putting in my body. And then on the other hand, I'm just sitting there like that. Yeah, we'll just see how this goes. That's the hypocrisy inside yourself. I, yeah. I feel the exact same. We we spoke about it, you know. I, I'm I'm a big believer in goal setting for that exact same reason. If I don't do positive things in my life, my mental health deteriorates. But I often find myself fueling my body with the shite of the day, sitting in front of the TV, watching Netflix, you know, going through the same destructive social media pattern and just watching the same stuff, comparing myself to people. All the while knowing that all I would have to do is pick up a book right now. All I would have to do is get outside for the first time in two days to take a positive walk and I will feel better. Aye. But I can't take that first step half Aye. the time. It's that, weird, man. This is this is when you really get into the crux of a lot of the spiritual literature that exists about the human condition. It all really comes down to this. We've got a part of our brain that's all about comfort and self-serving and just keeping us happy. And we've got another part of our brain that's evolved and is a bit more sophisticated and understands that some of the options available to us have changed throughout the, the years that we've evolved, you know what I mean? So people didn't used to have any alternative to being outside, there only was outside. Mm. <laughs> people didn't used to <laughs> have to go and get and shit, fresh yeah. air, there only was fresh air. People didn't, couldn't isolate, they lived in tribes, survival depended on being close to other people, on holding your kids close, because if they cried, they might invite a predator. Like, we're not that different for those humans, those hunter-gatherers and so on and so forth. But the world that we've created collectively around us has big consequences for us as individuals and understand it. And it's physiological, psychological impact on us. I mean, all the things that are available to us, stimulus, substances, 
the, the conversations, all the different things that can influence our brain chemistry, whether we feel up, whether we feel down, and underpinning it all, especially for guys. I mean, a lot of women attempt suicide as well. It's just they don't complete suicide at the same rate that men do. Yeah. Um. So sometimes the discussion on mental health can make it seem like this is a crisis in masculinity. We have a mental health problem in humanity and countries particularly like this because you have countries where people's mental health is better but their material conditions are worse. How do you explain that? You know what I mean? Well, people don't have as much and their lives are harder but they're not in that place that a lot of us find themselves in when it's yeah. just like, I'm getting nothing out of this life. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird one for me as well because I'm from New Zealand, right? And people go, fuck, that's paradise. We have the highest youth suicide rate in the world. And it just fucking, it, that's one of the things that's like, people go, oh, but yeah, how can you not be happy? It's from, we just, I think where the discussion is huge now in New Zealand and it needs to be, but it kind of had to get to a like epidemic until people went, wait, what the fuck is happening? Uh, What's happening to our kids, our brothers, our sons and shit like that. And it's just interesting to hear it from, you know, everyone has the same issue and it, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if you live in a sunny place like New Zealand or, you know, it's rainier in Scotland, but there is always things. And I think this day and age, you got so much stimulus. And how many times have you sat on the couch and gone, you know, you've got all the movies in the world. You've got your phone, you've got your porn, you've got beer on the in the fridge. You're like, I'm so fucking bored. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think boredom to me is what makes you then go, oh, have a look on social media. Oh, that person's doing better than me. To me, I, if I, I know myself if I can't get out of the house or I can't go for a run or I can't do a workout or even fucking I, I'm shit at it but I sometimes play golf and it's just to me it's just getting out and going fuck that's, that's nature there are birds there I'm going to sneeze because of this hay feeder, and it's but- counterintuitive sometimes like you say we have a head that tells us sometimes this gain is the wrong information you know sometimes you've got to do the opposite of what your head's telling you it's so like, I find a good analogy as a rider and the elephant, right? So there's this analogy it's used to illustrate the difference between our kind of, our, our more pr- primitive brain yeah. and our more socially evolved brain. So when you're seeing a rider on an elephant, it looks like a rider's in charge, doesn't it? Because the other one's on the, the mm. other, they're, they're dictating what direction that we go. Yeah. But actually, really, the rider's job is to make sure the elephant doesn't fucking lose it, right? Because if the elephant loses it, nobody's going anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's about getting the balance right and the relationship between the two has got to be an equilibrium. Sometimes it is okay to indulge in, in these things yeah. and sometimes you need a bit of discipline. Sometimes you need to try and cultivate that in yourself if it's no there. And uh, and also just, we, we seem to have created a society that's that's based around what we think we need or what we want and that's not always what's good for us. And and I think we're all correct, you know, society will correct. It's, it's just a bit overwhelming the new. The, the ra- rapid rate that everything's changing, the different forces that sort of we feel kind of sus- susceptible to. Um, but also, there's never been more information out there about the kind of world you're living in, never been more information out there about mental health. How do you get better for mental health? Yeah. Do you really get on the fucking saddle and you really commit to living a better life? There's no been a better time to be alive in terms of getting access to all sorts of different kind of things, information, activities, social groups. And so, like, you know, it's 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 always yin and yang, whatever era you're born in. And I actually think, well, these times are difficult, a lot of the be- best opportunities exist in these times as well. Absolutely. And what you were saying there about there's never been more information, you're... 
you've talked openly about alcoholism yeah. and the fact that you're a recovering alcoholic. Do you use information on the internet to access your recovery? I'm in, I'm in a fellowship, aye. You're in a fellowship? Aye, aye, I'm in a fellowship. Um, I, I, I've had a, a recovery-wise, it's been a good year for year learning hard lessons, which means it's been a year of relapses for me, um, you know, on one thing or the other. Um, I, I find actually the 12-step re, the, the recovery model abstinence-based recovery which can apply to any behaviour or any drug or whatever um, it works for me because I find whatever it is neurocircuitry or I've just reached some kind of toxicity threshold and I can't undo it when I pick up something or I engage in a certain behaviour that's addictive historically for me um, not only do I usually find that I just keep on doing the thing or using the thing until it becomes unbearable or I cause harm or fear or anger or upset but also I find that I, f- I lose the ability to think honestly about what's going on not just around the addiction but so many other areas of my life so it's like it's like you beat it's like getting hacked almost Um, you know what you're doing wrong but the sense of the magnitude of the mistake is marked as a low priority because the thing on the top of the list is the addiction itself presenting as a very compelling, you know, justifiable thing today. I got sober because in recovery, what you're getting is community. We need to be around other people if we want to be well. That's how we evolved. If we're isolated, we're like plants that's not getting watered. We might not think that. We might think, ah, I'm alone, I'm a lone wolf. Mm. I'm also really depressed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we need to get out there and be in the light of other people's lives and not be so caught up in our own shit, making ourselves useful for other people. And that's the same whether we've got addictions or no. But also the important thing with recovery fellowships is that you're having sobriety, whatever it looks like, modelled to you. So somebody's not just giving you the theory about if you stop drinking, your life will get better. Yeah. You better get into a meeting. When you're going into a meeting and you're beat, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, it's beat you. And you're on your knees and you're like, help me, I'll do it. You're surrounded with people that have just done it. Yeah. And so they know what it's like. They know the struggle. They'll not patronise you. They'll be straight with you when they need to be, but they'll give you so much compassion that it'll actually overwhelm you. I've mentioned I don't know if I've mentioned this on this podcast or the one uh, I did with the Rebel City guys but it was literally shite myself the first day I walked into GA you know fellowship and because in my mind I was a fucking monster I was the only guy like me I remember and I was going I'm just going to walk in here and, and in my head as well if I was if I wasn't the only guy like me I was just going to be in with a bunch of old scheme cunts you know Guys that I grew up with, basically, just all guys that maybe stank a piss and came out of bookies and straight to the pub, stuff like that. Um, And when I walked in, first sight I seen was this really tall, good-looking guy with a fucking tie on, you know, and he was clearly just a young professional. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Mm. And then three days later, they they encourage you to go to as many meetings as you can your first wee while, um, at least three a week. Three days later, I was in a guy's house in Shettleston eating a fry-up that he'd made before they were taking us to another meeting, and it just blew my mind. I was... Three days removed from attempting suicide, mm. you know, um, pounding the fucking, <laughs> pounding the floor in my flat going, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, nothing in my bank account. 
um, to having a fry up with a bunch of guys in Shettleston that were just treating me like a normal aye. fucking cunt when I was so far removed from and that bank, experience. Aye. And your bank account was probably mm. the same on the third day as it was on the first day. Mm. The thing that made your circumstances improve was other people being in your life. Normalising me, Identifying me, you just gain you that sense of social connection where suddenly any problem seemed manageable. Um, and, and this is the power of human connection whether it's whether it's forged on the crucible of addiction or whether it's just people meeting for a coffee morning I mean you ever wonder why coffee houses are so popular it's not just the coffee I mean why would somebody if they just like coffee no sit in a house and drink a coffee themselves exactly. they want to be at least in proximity to other people people like podcasts people are listening to this right now they like the idea that we're all in one big room together that they're being invited into a conversation rather than just being spoken at by a newsreader. And that's part of the draw of these new media platforms is because this just feels like we are, this is a community. You know, I'm sure that you've got fans already making themselves known to you who are very look much looking forward to what you do, who are, are, are loyal to what you do. They're interested and it'll be small at first, but it'll grow and grow. And they'll have a certain connection with this podcast that they won't have with a news programme or a newspaper um, because there's something a bit more human and authentic about this it's identification, you, you nailed it when you started talking, identification, as soon as you can take that identification, especially if you're struggling or you've just experienced something similar that you thought was just me um, that's the most powerful thing, that's the most powerful thing I took from that first NGA when I walked in there was just like, there's 40 people in this room they're the same as me mm. and that's sometimes what you need especially you were talking about when you were really really struggling with mental health when you wrote uh, don't jump you isolate yourself so easily it's so easy to isolate yourself when you find that identification it's powerful but just as a, a quick gear change I wanted to ask your expert Batman opinion on who do you think the best Joker in the history of the Batman TV or computer oh, okay. game series is Okay, cool. This is a good question. Um, so I reckon, I reckon, different jokers have got different attributes. I mean, I I think that obviously the 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 Joker that was in the TV series, although it was a bit it's a campy TV Caesar series. Romero, aye, aye. Yeah. I feel like that was a good interpretation here, and yep. he was the first person to do it. So he set the example for the live action version. Then obviously you have to say cinematically it's got to be Heath Ledger's portrayal in The Dark Knight, which not only sort of left a, a gaping hole in the subsequent film, but also really revealed how uninteresting Batman can be if it's no handled yeah, properly as a character. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And that's even way the weight of a great director and an actor portraying it. Um, it was just like something's no quite right. I'm waiting to see the Joker. I'm kind yeah, of yeah. like, I'm it? like, aye, you know. <clears throat> and uh because the big problem with Batman initially was everybody was just waiting for him to put the mask on. Nobody was interested in Bruce Wayne. Then they made them people interested in Bruce Wayne. Then they brought in Heath Ledger and everybody was just like, we want more of that. Yeah. Like, he, he would have dominated the trilogy because he would have definitely been oh, back for that third film. Aye, aye. And that, that was, again, man, he was quite a troubled guy at times, you know, and he had these addiction problems. And it's a shame a lot of, a lot of drug-related deaths are actually no deliberate, you know, and certainly in his case. But uh, back to the question was, I think Mark Hamill, the animated. Hamill was um, who we yeah. were talking about before it, yeah. Aye, because I, I remember how surprised I was when I first heard that um, he it was, was the person that portrayed yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I just thought that was so cool because I was like, you know, you think because he's made his name with Star Wars, you think, oh, he's just fell off. Know what I mean? And then actually, he's a working, sought after voice actor, and he's got a real craft. You know what I mean? So that was that was interesting was, for me. Uh, was the killing joke your favourite graphic novel? Yeah, I, I think the Dark Knight Returns is probably just for the scope of it. It's because it brings into play a lot of other aspects of the DC universe, and also it's it's you've seen them trying to portray different aspects here in the recent Batman films. But the 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 thing that they missed was that they had all the visual iconography yeah. right, but they didn't earn all the character moments. So big things happened, but you're sitting there as an audience, and it's no resonating because yeah. Zack Snyder didn't really understand storytelling yeah. you know what I mean yeah yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I've not seen any of those ones but I was reading about that the one that Joaquin Phoenix is doing in the trailer looks really good but then I read something that they've done nothing it's not linked to any comics they've deliberately not based it on anything to do with the comics but, but this, I think it's a good move because imagine if, if, if they can get this out the gate and they can prove that you can create a comic book film on a 60 million, 90 million budget that doesn't need special effects, yeah. and that you can put characters at the centre of this, then they can wipe a slate clean. So they can say, aye, cool, go and see Aquaman, we'll still dare the DCU, who cares who plays Batman in it? They've managed to make these other characters aye. interesting. But with these other standalone films, and I think there's scope to create a universe within that. You know, if you go with the Joker, that might be a prequel. The whole thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see it going forward. Um, I, I'm not necessarily concerned that it's no link to the comics, I think that they've got the license to do what they want. It's all about if it's good, people will accept the changes. I mean, Burton's Batman films they, they were widely accepted, even though they were very yeah, fast and loose with the mythology, and Batman was just murdering people for <laughs> <laughs> the very opening frame. Do you know what I mean? I think, as well, that um, I think I was gonna say, oh, that. To me, where DC kind of have shat the bed a wee bit recently is a Nolan set this level that was fucking too high, and now everyone's like, now everyone expects that's what Batman is. That Batman is our Joker should be that. Every like poor old mate who is um Jared Leto, even if he was fucking amazing, no, he would have been absolutely like, oh, he did it right. He was no Heath Ledger. He like I wouldn't have taken that role if you'd given me all the money in the world, which they probably did. But the other thing is, stop trying to make your fucking... Stop trying to keep up with Marvel. Marvel are on a, playing a different fucking sport to you now. It's a different game. Stop trying to be like, we've got an EU, like a, an extended universe as well. Like, y- you don't. Aye. You don't. And they've, they're they about 10 years ahead of That's you and they're killing it. That's capitalism, but in it, man. Yeah. It's just like a trend has to be done to death until somebody goes, I actually will That's innovate something. Now, right. And then you get a bit of innovation to offset all the shit. How many times has Spider-Man been rebooted in a <laughs> lifetime, man? Aye. The new one, the, the new one, I was quite impressed with. There was a few moments where I thought they they were a bit on the nose. I'm no spoil it for anybody, but I've not seen that one yet. But it, but but to be honest, it was there was some great payoffs in it, and it sets it up nicely for wherever it goes next. Yeah. You know what I mean? Obviously, they've got a lot of Tony Stark in it, fan service and all that. And mm-hmm. but I, I like how they address it. I mean, the film and it's in the trailer, so it's no big deal talking about it. The whole dilemma for Spider-Man and this is moving beyond Tony's shadow and actually that is a problem for the Spider-Man films. So I think there's a meta-textual thing going on where it's like, can these films do as well without some connection to Robert Downey Jr.? Because yeah. he just looms over the whole thing and that's a big question going forward for that whole MCU. Because yeah. I know certainly 
as much as I will go and see the next films and I've already seen Far From Home and I look forward to checking out like the Black Widow film and all that it was Tony Stark and Captain America that I was most invested in emotionally yeah um, their relationship and and so without them necessarily spearheading the next phase I'm sitting back and thinking how are they going to get me back involved in that same way where I was going home every night and you know, YouTube on in the background <laughs> yeah, yeah. everybody's hot take on everything that's happening yeah, yeah I've been there I've been there I suppose I, the, the main thing that you're saying there is the emotional involvement because I've got comedically the Guardians of the Galaxy films and what uh, is it Taika Taika Waititi has Thor. done to four recently give them that comedy edge right. Um, I I can watch those films for days, but you do need that emotional resonance, like you know, themed throughout the films, and they're going to need to bring that through. But I suppose the Tom Holland character's kind of got that; he's very likable. You get uh, to see him grow as well. I think he's contracted to do like three high school type films, yeah, and then another three where he's a bit older. But depend the, the way that they've set this up without giving too much away. They 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 they're clearly trying to forego a lot of what you think would happen. They're moving straight to they're moving straight to yeah. DEFCON one. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I like In that. terms of the way the film ends and the way it sets things up going forward, they're just gone. Now nah, we've seen all these other things. We're moving right out here. Nice. So, and this is phase four, isn't it? Aye. Well, this aye. This closes done phase three. Mayor, I would say this is more like a kind of epilogue to end game than a than a palate cleanser for the next phase. Um, but I, I mean, just they've got their formula, haven't they? MCU, and they just they work within it, and like if it's no broke, don't fix it. Absolutely, um, mate. It's been fucking brilliant. I could probably speak to you all night. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's been <laughs> a good buzz. Cheers for getting us on. No it worries. Is. Do you want to plug your show again? And we're definitely we're going to take a day trip through. Please and, do. So uh, it's on it. Scotland Today and stuff about me being middle class. It's on at the Newtown Theatre, uh, the Stand, which is on George Street. And the show's at uh, 4.45 every day from the 2nd of August to the 24th. You can get tickets online. You can find me on Twitter, at Loki Scottish Rap. I'm always tweeting about the show. Um, we follow anyway, would be appreciated. And and I think, like, everything that you can go to at the Fringe, it's cheap. It's on at a nice wee spot in the afternoon where you can still go and see something at night and get a bit of dinner on that, you know. So if you've got the money to do it and you're interested, then I, I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Brilliant. Go see this guy, he's a fucking legend, man. Thank you, mate. Bro, I appreciate Cheers, it. Cheers, bro. Good to see you. Cheers, homie. That was Drunk Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast, go listen to some of the other ones. The old you would have. If you're on socials, like us there as well Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Drunk Therapy. It's something weird on Twitter, which I can't remember right now.